Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures from the first Sunday in Lent. The first Sunday in Lent. Now, we've been through Advent, which prepared us for the coming of Jesus. Christmas, Jesus is born, and any Sundays thereafter, any weeks thereafter. Then we go into Epiphany, which we just uh, were in for several weeks, where Jesus is appearing and he's being made known. He's manifesting himself, if you will. He's sharing the message of the gospel. And now we enter the five weeks in Lent as we prepare for Jesus' death on Good Friday, his burial. And then, of course, Easter is about his resurrection. But now we are preparing our hearts and souls in the season of Lent. Very important season in the church calendar year. Now we'll have five weeks in Lent, and this is the first one. And if you look at the scriptures that are in this post, you'll see that we are still in Genesis. We're looking at Genesis 37, verse 1, which has to do with the great Joseph, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, through Genesis 41. We're beginning the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1 through 1 Corinthians 4. And we start a new gospel. We have been in John for a while. And we begin with the great gospel of Mark, starting in the first chapter, the first verse, and extending through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. So, Genesis, Corinthians, and Mark. And I wish all of you a very blessed Lent. I pray that this is a time of self-reflection, prayer, fasting. Please consider fasting. Alms giving, generosity, service to others, and a real um, opportunity for repentance and uh, evaluating where you are in Christ and where you are going spiritually and making amends as needed and continuing to grow in your relationship with Christ. And I hope the daily lectionary readings and our time together will give you that opportunity. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 37. Uh, verse 1 through 11, talks about Jacob. Now remember, we've looked at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. So we start with Abraham, then we have Abraham's children, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, and then uh, Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob's 12 sons, which eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel that we see in Judges and throughout the Old Testament, the 12 tribes. All right. Jacob lived, verse 1, in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. So Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. Hmm, also a shepherd. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Joseph brought a bad bad, report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. There's a coat of many colors a lot of you are very much aware of. But he loved Joseph being the youngest very much. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, obviously, I could say a lot about that. That's a terrible thing. And what happens is, Joseph has a dream in verse 5, and he tells it to the brothers, and they hated him even the more, verse 5. 
And he has this dream, and what you're going to find, if you don't know Joseph already, is that he is this extraordinary dreamer, and he's also able to interpret dreams, and this becomes a fantastic skill set that God has given him. His brother said to him in verse 8, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Well, those words became prophetic because we'll see later on that Joseph is going to rise in the kingdom of Egypt and he is going to be second command only submitting to Pharaoh. He dreamed another dream. And so in, in response to these dreams, as we look through chapter 37, uh, he is going to be sold into slavery. And Joseph is going to be taken to Egypt. And so he's going to be sold by his brothers. Um, and uh, this is going to be a very, very serious problem. And it's going to actually change the course of history. Because as I said, Joseph is going to be used by God providentially to be put in a place to save Israel and Egypt because of the famine that's going to come. But Joseph is going to go through many hardships in order to do that. You will enjoy immensely, particularly if you have not read this before in your life, you're going to enjoy immensely this 37th chapter. So uh, please read. We skip the 38th chapter and we go to the great... Uh, reading in chapter 39, which you see in this post, of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Well, Joseph is going to be brought down, had been brought down to Egypt, as I said, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him with the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So the brothers sold him because they hated him, as I said earlier, those first several verses in chapter 37. He is then... Uh, bought by Potiphar, who's a very powerful person. And it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful person and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So he was in great shape. His master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Verse 3, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all he had. This is a great honor to Joseph. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, verse 5, and all that he had, in the, all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So the Lord blessed Potiphar, even though Potiphar wasn't a believer in God at all, because of what Joseph had done and the kind of person that Joseph was. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. He wasn't concerned at all. The food he ate, well, I guess he could poison him. And so what happens in that 39th chapter, 1 through 23, is that Potiphar's wife makes an advancement toward him. And Joseph is put in an impossible situation. He went to do the work. She caught him. Uh, by his garment in verse 12. Lie with me. He left the garment in her hand, fled, and went into the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left the garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me 
to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. So she made it up, she lied, and now Joseph is in serious trouble because Potiphar won't believe Joseph. He believes his wife. He had no choice but to put him in jail. And so we see in verse 20, Joseph's master put him, took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor, verse 21 of chapter 39, and showed him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Beautiful verse. All right, so what we see next is in chapter 40 and 41, Joseph is interpreting dreams. He interprets two prisoners' dreams, okay? You have the cup baker in verse 5, and you have the baker of the king of Egypt uh, in verse 5. They were confined in prison, and they had an interpretation, and he gave them an interpretation. And the chief baker, everything, uh, he says in verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, okay? And the first one was the cup baker. Now the baker shares it. And Joseph gives an interpretation um, and says, you're going to hang on a tree and the birds of the flesh are going to eat from you. So you have one that had a positive interpretation and you had another that actually was going to die. And so you'll see on verse 20 of chapter 40, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief cup bearer and the chief of the head of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the cup bearer, bearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph interpreted the dream to him. And the cup bearer promised, if he would help him, to restore him back. But it says in verse 23, he did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph is still in prison. He interprets the Pharaoh's dream in a very great chapter, a very dramatic chapter in chapter 41. This is an amazing uh, chapter where uh, in 1 through 13, we have this situation where no one could interpret. So it breaks at 13. If you look at verse 14, which we're not supposed to be reading, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. So Joseph is going to interpret this dream. We'll see that next time, okay? So enjoy those great chapters from Genesis. Lots of wonderful lessons for us to learn in terms of trusting the Lord, in terms of the gifts that he gives us, in terms of using those gifts for his glory, in terms of God is, is, is in control, uh, even though it seems like he's not, and it seems like we're getting ripped off, God is still in control. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians is an extraordinary book, a very long book, uh, uh, letter that Paul wrote. Uh, it comes after the book of, of Romans, and uh, it is a very profound book, and so we're going to work quickly through it because they're just, I mean, I can read all kinds of scriptures. Uh, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church, verses 1 and 2, of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I give thanks to all of you. So he's, he's giving thanks. He's thankful about their testimony. They are not, in verse 7, lacking any spiritual gift. 
He says that he will sustain them to the end and that God is faithful. Those are, again, wonderful things for us to learn, to share, to incorporate in our own lives. And so he talks about not having divisions among us in verse 10 and really focusing on the word of the cross in verse 18 is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. The cross was anathema back in those days. Only the worst of the worst were crucified on a cross. But Jesus, having been crucified, then rose from the dead, raised from the dead by God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. The word of the cross is makes no sense and is crazy to people that do not know the Lord. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So he says, where's the one that is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God, verse 21, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So the message of the gospel is the ultimate message. It is the best message. And those people that think they're wise, where are they? Wisdom is found in those that will follow the will of the Lord. Okay? Lots of great teaching. In chapter 2, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in terms of having wisdom, uh, in terms of knowing things. We want to be led by the Spirit of God. He says in verse 10 that the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He says, now we've not received the Spirit of the world, verse 12, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So the natural person cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God, verse 14. That's all of us without the Lord. So we need a supernatural agency, a supernatural power to speak to us so that we can understand the things of God. That is the Holy Spirit. He says in the last verse of 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct them? We have the mind of Christ. Now there are divisions in the church in chapter 3. You'll see this in your post on Thursday. What then is Apollos, verse 5? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God's the one that's important. Let's not have any fighting and divisions among ourselves regarding these things. According to the grace of God given to me, verse 10 of chapter two of chapter 3, like a skillful master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let no one, let each one take care how he builds, he or she builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he talks about the importance of building on Christ. Earlier, we talked about the gospel. We talked about being led by the Spirit of God in chapter 2. We need to have on, as our foundation the gospel of Christ, the foundation which is in Christ Jesus. Then we build upon that foundation. We want to have the best of all foundation. I'm thinking of uh, the end of Matthew chapter 7 where he talked about building your foundation on the stone, on the rock of Christ. Then we have on Friday the end of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 to 23. Let no one deceive himself. 
Verse 18 of chapter 3. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The wisdom of this world. Let no one boast in men. Verse 21. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all of yours. And you are Christ and Christ's is God's. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, the ministry of the apostles. The ministry of the apostles. Please enjoy reading that. So, lots to think about. 1 Corinthians is quite dense. It's quite wonderful, beautiful scriptures. Teaches us about doctrine. Teaches us about how to follow the Lord. Now, Mark's gospel is the shortest of the four, and there's a median seat to it. There's a vibrancy to it. It's alive. It's very dynamic. It's very dynamic. Now, he has no infancy narratives, as you can see in chapter one. He has no prologue, as we see. Well, the infancy narrative were in, uh, are in Matthew and Luke, and he has no prologue, which is in John chapter one, one to 18. And he says, the beginning of the gospel. Oh, I've been talking about the gospel in this um, program. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the gospel, the biblical gospel, is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now he's going to present that to you. Why is he doing that? Because he feels led by the Spirit, he, Mark, being led by the Spirit to present to us the testimony about this person, Christ, the person that's died and rose from the dead, that is alive, that he wants to share with us years after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension into heaven so that we might believe in this person and have salvation okay that's the purpose so what he does in mark chapter one in mark chapter two is he's going to illustrate this person he's going to give us miracles he's going to show us miracles he is going to illustrate what this person has said and hopefully by the spirit and god and by the mercy and grace of god this is going to come upon us in such a way that we are going to believe it and act upon it, this information, this gospel, in such a way as to establish a relationship with this person, Jesus. That's, the, that's, what, that's what he's trying to do. He's also trying to tell us about the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, the arrival of the kingdom of God, which are the same thing, and the entrance of the gospel into the world, this fantastic message that we all need to have. So, he begins by telling us about John the Baptist and the great prophecy in Isaiah 40, verses uh, 2 and 3, and then the baptism of John, who prepared us for the coming of the Lord. And here it is. In those days, Jesus, verse 9, from, came from Galilee, uh, Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So Jesus begins his ministry by being baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River. God speaks and validates this person and, of course, validating him. He's validating his future ministry. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He's in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. All out assault on Jesus. He was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. No one before or since has had that kind of onslaught of the power, the supernatural power of evil. All right, he begins his ministry and he says, first words out of his mouth, according to Mark. He proclaims the gospel of God saying, the time is fulfilled. 
the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe the gospel. Four messages. Now is the time. The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm ushering in the kingdom. And in fact, this is what he's saying. Now, how do you respond to that? You do two things. You repent and you believe in the gospel. There's the message. Now, he calls his first disciples. He heals a man with an unclean spirit, 21 to 28. He's showing the, the reality of evil, the reality of demons, and the reality that he is greater than the demons. Are we greater than the demons? No. Are we greater than the devil? No. Are we greater than evil? No. There's only one person or one thing, if you will, one thing in reality that is greater, and that's Jesus Christ. He heals many, 29 to 31. That evening at sundown, they brought, verse 32, to, all, to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Extremely powerful person extremely powerful person. So he is victor over death. We'll see he raised three people from the dead later on in Mark. He raised people from the dead. Interestingly, Mark has two instances. John has one where we have, uh, in chapter 11, we have the raising of Lazarus. He healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. Okay? He's now then going to preach beginning in verse 35. He's going to preach. He's going to share the message. He's going to deliver the gospel message. They don't know what it is, so he's got to say it. That's why it's important for us to keep learning. One of the ideas behind the daily lectionary uh, readings and our weekly offering to you is that we want to encourage you to read these 21 lessons. We want to encourage you to pray about them and think about them. Um, I'm spending about 25 minutes with you just to encourage you and to share a couple of ideas as we go through the lessons together uh, in case you need um, some encouragement in doing that. I listen to the uh, programs myself. I'm always encouraged by the time I get to the end. Very, very helpful to my spirit and to my soul. Jesus uh, then heals a leper. This is miraculous. Lepers have been around for a very long time, all the way back to the time of Moses for sure. And Jesus heals the person. Then we go to the dramatic healing in chapter 2, where he heals a paralytic. They bring him down. And then we have the famous uh, 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 idea that Jesus forgives sin and heals. You know, forgives sin and heals. Why do you question these things? Which is easier, verse 9? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He has authority to forgive. Nobody else does. Now, he immediately picked up his bed, wept, and went out before them all. And so they were amazed and said, we've never seen anything like this. No, no one's ever seen anything like this. This person can not only heal people, can not only cast out devils, and he'll do a lot of nature miracles too, but he also can forgive sins, and no one can do that. They have that authority he received from his father. He calls Levi. Remember I told you in, in chapter 1, 16 to 20, that we have the calling of the first disciples, uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And now he's calling Levi, who is Matthew. There's a question about fasting. 
So as he engages the people, he's also engaging the folks that are leading Judaism, the Jewish people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the teachers of the law. And they're asking questions about what he's saying. And so that's a very important part of his teaching. At the end of chapter 2, as we begin chapter 3, as you'll see in this post, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He says in verse, uh, the last verse of chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the man, Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This fantastic person is head of everything. And then finally, another miracle in this week's post, the man with the withered hand. He goes into the synagogue. A man has a withered hand. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, but Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life and to kill? Isn't it better to do good? He says, stretch out your hand. But their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened, verse 5. The Pharisees went out and immediately, verse 6, held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So instead of opening their hearts to this person, hearing the word of God through this person, looking at all the miracles and and, and, uh, believing and knowing that God had appeared to them, they were looking at ways to kill him. And of course, Jesus dies at the end of his life at their hands through the Romans, through the means of the Roman, um, uh, through the Roman soldiers and his crucifixion. And so in these extraordinary verses in Mark at the beginning of these chapters, we see the advent and the presentation of Jesus into the world. And we see what kind of effect he had when he started his ministry at 30 years old. Well, we've just begun our five-week journey in Lent. Enjoy these scriptures from Genesis and about Joseph. Great scriptures. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. You will not be disappointed. And 4. And then finally, the beginnings of the Gospel of Mark. See you next time as we continue our discussion of Genesis, 1 Corinthians, and the Gospel of Mark. God bless you.